Welcome to Thoroughly Wrong, and now your hosts, Francisco and Rob. Take it away, guys. Welcome to Thoroughly Wrong Project. Glad to be back. How you doing, Francisco? Pretty good, man. All right. Uh, today we're going to be talking about something that uh, close to my heart. I used to work uh, here in town with special needs people. I think a lot of people have forgotten that the pandemic has affected all of us on on levels that we can't imagine. But when the entire system shuts down, special needs people suffer quite a bit more. Uh, today we have a guest with us, Sean, who works with a special needs crowd. He's gonna he's gonna enlighten us a little bit. Welcome to the show, Sean. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. Um, been here in Bakersfield for about 15 years now. Uh, I am approaching next year we'll make 10 years in the field of developmental disabilities. I started back in 2011. Uh, to be quite honest, I was just looking for a job. <laughs> Got a job. Um, you know, you may remember that was towards the end of the first uh, recession, the recession right. um started in 2008 and I got a job driving a truck um, and I was also considered a job coach and they told me I would be coaching uh, adults with developmental disabilities. Uh, never had experience with it before but it sounded interesting. Um, I got into it and I have to say a few, within a few months I knew uh, that's where I belong. And so uh, just grew in my career, became a manager, then moved to another company. And now uh, I'm considered a, what they would call a vice president of uh, the uh, region. All right. Just a little side note here. When Sean became a manager, he uh, interviewed a, a guy from West Virginia over the phone and uh that's what brought me back to Bakersfield. I used to work for Sean for what, two years. Yeah. 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 You, you know, I know the pandemic is it's, it's hurting everyone, but like I said, I, I cannot imagine I I've been out of the, I've been out of the loop for um, quite a few years now. I still remember some of the people. I remember their problems. How, how's this pandemic um, affecting special needs people? Well, let me take you back to March. Um, we came in one day, we heard about this thing that was going around and we weren't sure exactly what was going to happen, especially here in Bakersfield. Literally one day, it was a Thursday, I came in and I said, we won't be coming in Friday. Um, we made sure to try to lower the anxiety, of course, and uh, just tell right. them we will be in touch. They have faced uh, many challenges. Uh, to start out, first, the thing that they've known for most of their lives were gone. The programs, their friends, the facilities, the organizations. In addition to that, they then realized, I can't go see my doctor. Uh, what are we going to do? Wow. We had so much to figure out. We had uh, prescriptions to fill. We had doctor's appointments to keep. 
as you know, Robert, in this field, the health conditions are, are very fragile. Right. Um, right. And it could range from everything to directly related to the disability to just the fact that they don't have proper exercise and diet. Uh, so if you take that in consideration and take how much of a high risk they are, I mean, compound our anxiety by a hundredfold uh, when it comes to them. Right. I, I know. I remember, especially um, people in the autism scale, they, they thrive on the same thing day after day after day. Everything has to stay the same. I imagine that's got to be difficult to deal with. Uh, yes, we stayed in contact with the families and um, the families were really concerned at first. You know, we all thought this was going to blow over in about two weeks. So <laughs> nobody was yeah. really stressing. <laughs> I would have to say the stress levels really started to hit about the end of May. And we started getting parents, caregivers with very high anxiety uh, asking, when are we going to allow them back into the building? And, um, you know, we understood. We really empathized with them. Um, we didn't have an answer. We still don't have an answer. Uh, we are better informed now. We have a system in place. Uh, but we still don't have an answer as to when things will never be back to March. That's the first thing. Right. But right. to at least have the option to bring them into the building, we don't know when that's going to happen. And so... Um, yeah, there's been a lot of anxiety. Um, there's been a lot of uh, real concern and burnout with caregivers. Right. Have you guys been able to like um, reopen to any in any sort of way? Or are you guys still just fully closed? So what we've... I'll tell you what. Um, this field has really pulled together and we understand the situation at hand. So for the summer, we've been doing what we termed alternative services. Once we received guidance from the governor, we knew the basic things that we needed. We needed a mask. We need, first, we were able to determine the difference between a face covering and a, face, uh, a surgical mask. We knew we had to keep our social distancing so from there, we were able to start planning our uh, programs. The first thing we did, we developed remote learning, which consisted basically of uh, online, it's sort of like the schools, online classes. All right. Uh, which was a challenge all in itself. You talk about the relearning and the re-education of a total system. It was very interesting. Um, and then once we got more uh, guidance from the CDC, we also began community outings and what we would call uh, drive-by uh, wellness checks. And uh, we would also develop packets for them to work with at home. So that helped a lot. And really just seeing some of the staff again helped out. Um, uh, we got great response. And um, we've really been doing that ever since. And we've actually created programs, worked with the Department of Developmental Disabilities, and um, 
this is the new normal. Eventually, uh, to those other uh, service deliveries, we hope to add the option of coming back into the building. But uh, this is the new normal. It really is about the individual's choice now. Did you have to re-outfit your buses or... We only had company vans. Um, yeah, the, the real challenge right now is repurposing the transportation. Um, we're trying to find different ways. Uh, I think what we will eventually move to is the transportation services that you remember will almost be like an Uber service. Uh, okay. They, they're trying to repurpose their uh, company structure, but... It's going to be there to serve uh, the people that we serve um, in any types of ways, not just dropping them from home to program and then back. It's going to be community outings, going to be doctor's appointments. It's going to be packet deliveries. Uh, we're really looking at different ways we can utilize all of our services without the other aspect of this, which is layoffs. And so we've been working very hard to keep uh, all of, not only our staff, but the staff around Kern County. I heard that, um, it, I, I think we talked about the other day, it, is Bark shut down? Uh, no. So they're still operating. I know they lost their packing plant. Yeah. And last year when the, um, the recycling just fell through, it just it became almost a non-issue. So there's no, there's no recycling. There's no packing. I, I'm just wondering how, you know, the, what the future looks like for, for the business that you're in. And, and I, I don't call it a business disrespectfully. It, it is a business. Mm -hmm. It so, absolutely is. Um, we were facing challenges before the pandemic hit. Uh, not only Bark, but other organizations, they had to streamline and they were in the process of streamlining. Uh, and with this, be, it depends on the services that you offer. You may have to streamline more. I know, unfortunately, there will be some businesses that won't be able to survive. Uh, we don't know who they are, but um, it's sort of the nature of the evolution. I think the field, the field has to survive. Um, the government knows this. Uh, the funders Department of Rehab and regional centers know this, and the providers know this, the vendors. Right. Um, and I think it's going to go towards that, uh, that person, personal choice of how they want to deliver services. We were moving at a snail's pace uh, towards this goal anyway. The pandemic just told us you're going to do it now <laughs> you're going to do it today as exactly. a matter of fact yeah i the whole the whole culture's changing uh, francisco and i were talking about it the other day as far as back to normal i think we have lasted so long in this state that we're in right now this that i don't think normal will ever be a, anything we can ever return to like march because once you raise up a generation of children. I, I told um, Francisco the other day, I said, our kids have been in this for six, eight months. So we're looking at one and a half year old kids who don't ever remember seeing a stranger smile at them. Their culture's changing so rapidly right now. 
And it's not a, it's ma- it's not a matter of, do we want to change? Like you said, it's a matter of we're going to do it right now, or we're not going to survive. So you drop that down from the culture level to the business level, you're going to find a way to change or you're not going to survive. Exactly. Uh, I even take it one step, one step th- further is we have changed. It's not, we're going to change. Right. You know, we, we really are careful with the words we choose uh, when people say we'll go back to normal. This is the normal. Uh, as far as point. society, and actually, uh, you, well, before I get on society, go back to business, it's made us more efficient. Oh, definitely. It's, it's made our services more efficient, and we found new and more cost-effective ways to do things. <laughs> Which, you know, do you think about, when you look in hindsight, you think, man, I wish I would have figured this out, and I'd have saved a hell of a lot of money last year. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I used to go out to uh, Santa Barbara uh, for meetings every uh, month. Yeah. And now we we Zoom it. Yep. We just do it on a computer. It's just easier and it's streamlined. So you just save six hours of travel time just for one meeting. Travel mileage, yes. Wear and tear, all of it. So, you know, when we talk about that business-wise... You know, I did listen to your podcast, your last podcast, and you guys hit it on the uh, the nail on the head. The malls, the restaurants are going to have to operate a little differently. The malls are going away, but we knew that the malls were going away a year ago. That right. that talk was already out there. Again, this just hit. The thing that we thought could never happen to us happened, and it just expedited everything. It's kind of like. Um... Like, you know how usually, like, a lot of times during wartime, technology seems to advance, like, at a far faster pace, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, not that we're at war right now, but it's kind of that same feeling of, you know, we have to think on our feet. We have to adapt really quick or else, you know, we're not going to make it. Exactly. I've been fortunate, you know. um, We, I've... I never had the time where I had to stay at home and work. Um, For the first few months, I've gone to an empty building, but I was still going to a building. Um, And, you know, I've been one of the fortunate ones. I didn't have to worry about losing my job. You know, it, it was a short concern, but as soon as we realized the game plan, which was, I mean, by April, May, we knew that there was still a way to do this. Um, you know, we, we were just fortunate and we just knew that, okay, it's time to change. We didn't sit and we didn't look at why is this happening? You know, we didn't, we didn't sulk over it. We, you know, I have a company that we went into change immediately and it hurt for a while, but Man, I'm I'm glad we did. (laughs) Yeah, no pain, no gain, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Never more. This happened. This happened uh, March, I believe, is March the twelfth. It's like middle of the day, and the boss calls us in, and she's like, "Well, who wants to stay and who wants to go?" And 
most everybody was like, we don't know what this is. And it's, everybody was kind of freaked out. And so we all went home. I did not go to work back to work in the brick and mortar until about six weeks ago. And now I'm still mm -hmm. only two days, Mondays and Fridays. Mm -hmm. I'm dealing directly with uh, clients who are sitting behind plexiglass and it's, it's a whole different ball game. Now I, I, I appreciate what they've done. It's uh, our, our, uh, my employer was out to protect me. And that, that was the thing right there that uh, really made me respect them. And it sounds like you're the same way. You want to protect your employees. You want to protect your clients because this is a serious situation. And even though it costs money and even though it costs time and even though it's painful, it's good to see that there's people in the special needs community who are still looking out for the clients. That's, that's yeah. a wonderful thing. Absolutely. You know, um, the people that work in this industry, you know, Robert, we don't do it for the pay. <laughs> and so, <laughs> no, you know, you don't. we didn't no. question when they called us, um, oh, what was the great term? Uh, essential employees. Yes. We knew that we were already. And, you know, staff, the, the ground level, the DSPs, the case managers, uh, every organization has a different term for them. The coaches. Yeah, job culture. Uh, yeah. The day-to-day, -day, the people that do the groundwork day to day. I mean, they went into action and it's a beautiful thing to see. And, uh, you know, they're the real reason why this industry will survive. You know, it, like I said, we're actually starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. We're starting to come up with a structure for it. And once you have the structure, you know, the industry is going to stick around. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I like how you think about this, man, because mm -hmm like we were talking, it's not going to go back. It's going to go, we're going forward from here, no matter what the difference in is. If you could figure out the construct of what you want to do and then build the organization around that main tenant, then you've got, you've got a good thing going. That sounds like, um, sounds like you do. Yeah, absolutely. So how you said, uh, you weren't, you just want to go back to the business. How's it changed you culturally within your organization? That's the, that's a big thing. Do you have clients who work in industries around town and then you have job coaches for them? Yeah. Yeah. Has uh, any of your clients lost their jobs? We've had one that lost his job. Uh, four, five others have been furloughed. Okay. And so what we've done, we've continued to provide services because uh, one thing we always have to remember is that uh, people, many people with disabilities, you can never generalize, but many people with disabilities, you have a, a short time span that they can sit and, and not do anything. Right. They will lose, every, they won't retain thing, uh, information. They will lose what they've learned. So we've developed uh, training programs and we continue to reach out to them and work with them while they're furloughed. Um, but um, we've only, I think we only had one who uh, volunteered for furlough because uh, that person was uh, pretty afraid. Again, we don't know what this is. 
Right. So uh, everyone else, they're sitting, they're working hard, but uh, they can't wait to get back to work. And uh, we're doing everything we can to keep them sharp and keep them ready for when they go back. So that's the online trainings and the classrooms and the packets and things you just talked about. Exactly. That's even a phone call, even a phone call to go, uh, go over some things with them, see how they're doing. Um, you know, might give them some assignments to do around the house. Hey, you worked in environmental services at this place. Let's do some cleaning chores. Hey, you did some office work at this place. Type up something on a Word document and send it to us uh, through email. So whatever we can do, and the staff is really there. You never understand how creative people are until they have to be. Exactly. Exactly. uh, The people that uh, are in our program have gone on virtual museum tours around the world. They've done cooking classes remotely. They are um, one um another area another division in my organization they're doing um a science project where they have to land a ship onto a, a fictional planet and they're applying uh mathematics they're applying uh logic that NASA would have to apply as far as weights speeds Things of that nature. Of course, they don't get into the calculus and physics, but uh, right. it's it's still it's something remarkable, and it's we would have never discovered it if we didn't have this opportunity. Are are you concerned any that maybe government services or maybe you know where where the cash flow is coming from? They will say, well, since you can do it with less money, you know, maybe having your funding cut. Again, um, that's always a danger. The thing is, before this hit, we were already petitioning for increases in rates because I believe we were operating at 2002 financial rates. Uh, in the people oh, wow. that work for us, I mean, they are really underpaid. That's always a danger. And there's two ways to look at it. Um, one, before the pandemic, we knew that, that was funding was going to be a problem. Uh, the industry was growing so big, uh, the state was not going to be able to keep up with it. We knew that long term, that something was going to have to change. They are considering that the they're restructuring. Huh? Is there a way to privatize this and make it, you know, I really, Francisco likes um, capitalism. I, he's a fan of Mm -hmm. capitalism. I kind (laughs) of am a fan of capitalism, but I have real problems with it. Um, Mm -hmm. It just seems like if you commodify something, then you're successful. And, and I hate to think that we would commodify the industry that you're in, you know, to make it this profitable money-making thing, because then different, it becomes a different mindset with it. That would be, I think that would be difficult. 
Um, I just don't think in this industry you'll see a big profit. And okay. so, you know, are you looking at government subsidies like the jail, prison system? Because, I mean, that's still, you know, yeah. that's still socialist. They're still getting the government subsidies off of that. So the government's not scot-free with it. Um, I think the privatized section of it, you know, they used to do that with institutions and we're finally getting away from the institutions. Right. So hopefully we wouldn't go back to that. Okay. Um, I, I know, you know that, you said that, they, that, they that would be hard to see that. <laughs> it would be heartbreaking if, if you have a, any knowledge of the community at all, it would be heartbreaking to see. I, I know you said that they like to pay you from 2002 prices, <laughs> But that uh, prop prop 15 um, is they're trying to change the law right now. The taxational corporations is paying. They're being taxed at 2013 rates and they want to bring them up to speed. So Mm -hmm. if we brought everybody up to speed and you're paying the tax rates of today and and you're you're paying your your people for the rates of today, I think things will be a little better if you if you could get them to stop paying 2002 rates and get them to pay at 2020 rates, you'd do a lot better. Oh, absolutely. Because, um, you know, this is the thing. And this was the main argument was, hey, minimum wage is going up. And the work that we ask uh, staff to do is so demanding. If I was making the same thing that I could make at a fast food restaurant or a retail job, why would I put up with this headache and the, the, the difficulty of working in the field of development with developmental disabilities? We would lose a lot of stars from our staff. Yeah, you would. And I you think would. the state would recognize it. Um, the, you know, they, they give a little, but they are giving and they're willing to uh, notice. They're willing to, to speak. And we do have some champions in, in the state Senate. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm still hopeful. I think we, we will be fine at the end of the day. And I think eventually it'll be better. I don't know if we'll ever get to the, the money that we're talking about, but it will be better. Sean, I want to go back um, earlier. You were talking about all the different ways you guys were adapting, uh, working like with your clients and everything. Uh, what has their reaction been, though? Like you mentioned, they would do you would try to do, you know, activities that would be relevant to, you know, their job or what they used to do. How have they reacted to the to all the changes? Um, I would say this. If you know anything about people with disabilities, you know that they're resilient. And no matter what the circumstance, they will come to program with enthusiasm and a happiness that you can't replicate. I think they've brought that to a lot of the new services that we're offering. And some don't want to come back to the building. Some really enjoy what they're doing. And they enjoy the fact that they could just roll out of bed and log on. (laughs) Uh, 
<laughs> you know, you, you're going to have so many different uh, responses to, to the newness, to change. Uh, I think it was hard. I think a lot of them didn't understand it at first. But to their credit, and I mean, I, it's totally to my expectation that they roll with the punches. They figure it out and they just, they keep going. Their life has changed. They have staff that they've grown attached to change all the time. They have to change their doctors. Many of them have to change their homes constantly for whatever reason. Sometimes it's not even their choice. They're used to it and they're, they are very resilient. So I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I would never work with a different population. They carry more. Let me back up here. I, I've worked with them for a long, long time, and I have never seen a more joyful, truly joyful people. All right. They, they have a resilience about them. That's, that's simply amazing. That's my heart will always go out to them. I, I'm so glad I got to do that for the years that I did it. It taught me things about myself. And when you see a person who has struggled their entire life, be joyful over the smallest things. That is, that's amazing. They're amazing people. You remember the conversation we used to have in the morning? So-and-so is going through this. What are you complaining about? You know, it's like you're complaining about coming into work today. <laughs> well, I I did like what you said because um, a lot of people look at people with special needs and developmental disabilities as different from them. You know what? Different different is is nothing because uh, I myself like to roll out of bed in my underwear and log on and go to work. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, different is di- we're all different. Exactly. Each and every one of us is different. We all have different challenges. We all have different strengths. And that's where we're not we're not really teaching them. When we talk about community integration, we're trying to educate the community. We're trying to show them, hey, these are great people. Yeah. You might want to have a conversation with someone or you might want to hire this person. I know a person who hasn't missed a day of work in 25 years. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Yeah. 25 years. And when they offered him a paid vacation to celebrate that, he turned it down. Wow. I think that's one of the misconceptions a lot of people have that they're, you know, they're helpless or, but in reality, they're very capable to do a lot of things, you know. And they don't want a handout. You know, I spoke with a local politician one day and I said, uh, so we can either find them a job or they could go back on SSI. I said, let's save taxpayers some money. Let's get them a job. They're totally capable of work and we'll be there to help uh, guide them with the small little hurdles that they have to get through. It's a win-win. Have you guys ever seen a... There's a show on Netflix called Atypical. I really recommend it. It's uh, it's about this. Um, he's like a college age kid with uh, with autism, mm-hmm. and it's a really good show. And it just really it really highlights how capable and how 
you know, how diverse and how adaptable uh, people with disabilities are. Yeah. I did watch uh, Love on the Spectrum, which I thought was very interesting. Man, you talk about cheering for some of these guys. <laughs> they it meant they want to find love, you know. And uh, I'll give you a statistic, Robert. You talked about earlier whether or not we will go away. So 19, no, the year 2000, one in every 150 children was diagnosed with autism. Right. In 2016, what do you think that number shrunk to? It shrunk? Well, it increased, but the... Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying. Yes, it increased. One, I don't know, one in 100? One in 54. One in 54. Diagnosed with autism. Some form of autism. Uh, they still don't know what causes it. We just know that it's growing and we need to understand and be able to offer guidance so that they can develop and become functioning members in society. Well, like you said before, I, I like your reverse engineering of it. We're not integrating you into culture. We're teaching culture. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah, we're teaching that we're educating the people. Sean, you're doing a beautiful job, man. Um, I really thank you for coming on today. Uh, it was enlightening. And and I have worked with these people forever. I love them to death. And uh, the thing that I can tell you before we get out of here is I saw one of the clients that I used to work with not long ago and to see that person's face light up just because they saw me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What a beautiful experience and how good does it make you feel? Another human being was so happy to see you that they burst into tears. And you'll never, you'll never be forgotten. I'll never be forgotten. And I, no. I love that, man. Well, I appreciate you both having me on. I really I enjoy what you're doing. I appreciate it. And I enjoy what you're doing and I'm a, continue to listen so keep doing what y'all doing it's good stuff all right thanks sean appreciate you man tune in next time for our upcoming interview with dr wim lavin of kennesaw state university as we get his thoughts on black lives matter politics policies and the problem of violence in our community until then research your argument listen when others are speaking to you and in the back of your mind just suspect you might be thoroughly wrong This has been Francisco and Robert on yet another episode of the Thoroughly Wrong Project. See you next time.